Well, good evening, Hickory Grove, and welcome to the pastor's class. My name is Kyler Smith. I serve as the Mallard Creek campus pastor, and it's my privilege to get to spend a little bit of time with you tonight, albeit it's going to be in an unusual format. I'm not used to looking right into a camera. I miss seeing all of you in front of me. Now, if you're joining us tonight, uh, maybe you're joining us and you haven't been a part of the pastor's class before. We offer this class every Wednesday night at our Harris and Mallard Creek campuses, but we offer it during our student ministry and Awana ministry, so there's probably Probably a good many of you that are logged in tonight that don't ordinarily get to join us in this class. You might want to know what this class is like, what it's built on. Well, what we have been doing now all spring is instead of walking through a book of the Bible, we've actually been walking through a book just written by an author that's living today. We're reading a book by Al Mohler. He's the president of Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He wrote a book on the Apostles' Creed named just that, the Apostles' Creed. And what he does in this book is he walks through this ancient creed, this ancient statement of faith, and he breaks it down line by line, helping us understand the mere Christian orthodoxy, those central tenets of the Christian faith that that statement has represented for believers throughout the centuries. Now, if you hear that statement creed, or even maybe statement of faith, and it doesn't sit well with you, it's important that you know we don't view those as inspired by the Spirit of God. Uh, these are just mere statements written by men like you and me, and the purpose of these statements is to help Christians get a grip on what the Bible teaches. It's hard for me to just hand a Bible to you and say, hey, I believe this book, because there's a lot of disagreement on what that book means. Statements of faith help us summarize the key things we believe as believers. And so what we've done this spring is we've taken perhaps the most famous statement of faith throughout all the ages, this creed called the Apostles' Creed, and we've introduced it to the class and broken it down line by line. Now, if you've never read this creed before, or you're, maybe you're jumping in now and you haven't been in the class previously, It'd probably be helpful if we read through it so you can kind of get a feel for what the statement says and kind of get a little bit of context for where we're going to land this evening. And so ordinarily, I'd have you all read with me. If you feel like it, you can read with me through the screen. I want to read this statement to you, and then we're going to fixate on one particular phrase within the statement, within this creed, for the rest of this evening. The Apostles' Creed begins, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and of earth and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. Now, He descended into hell. The third day, He arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and He sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That is the Apostles' Creed. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at just one phrase. We're actually 11 weeks into this. And so if you haven't been with us before and you want to get caught up, we actually offer audio. Uh, it's like a podcast on our website, audio clips of all of the messages we've been delivering all spring long. So you can go to hickorygrove.org and you can go listen to the previous 10 weeks of material. But tonight, we're going to fast forward to that phrase near the end of the creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. 
Now I trust that that statement in and of itself may not strike you as altogether profound or controversial. I mean, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I trust you believe in the Holy Spirit. But I wonder if you understand the implications of a loaded statement like that. In other words, tonight I want you to feel the weight of a statement like, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And what I'd like to do tonight is I'd like to present this doctrine of the Holy Spirit, this simple teaching about this third member of the Trinity of the Godhead, and I'd like to do so in such a way that it impresses on your heart the immeasurable benefits the Holy Spirit provides you, particularly in the day and time in which we find ourselves, unusual times, and at least in our lifetimes, unprecedented times. And so, I'd like to pray for you and ask for God's help, both for me as I deliver God's Word to you, and for you as you listen in tonight. And as I pray, I'd like to read just one text to you. I think it's important that we begin our time having God speak to us from His Word. And so I'd like to begin by reading John chapter 16. I just want to read verse 7, and then I'll pray. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, Jesus says, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. We're going to talk about who that Helper is in just a moment. Would you join me as we pray? Our Father in heaven, right now I do ask that in this most unusual way, that you would minister your word to your people. I pray, Father, that you would edify those listening tonight, that you would build them up in your word. Lord, I pray that you would impress upon us the immeasurable benefits of the Holy Spirit of God, his ministry in our lives. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever found yourself failing to recognize that everything you need you have right at your fingertips? Uh, maybe it was just a couple days ago you were tearing apart the house trying to find your car keys only to realize they were in your hands the whole time. Maybe they're in your pocket. You know, there's a story once of a Peruvian ship. It was sailing down the coast of South America. It was near the Amazon River, uh, the mouth of the Amazon River. And as it was going down the coast, it came across the Spanish vessel way off in the distance and they saw that it was, it was stationary. It seemed to have some folks on it. And as they approached, they noticed that these sailors, uh, they seemed like they were in distress. They were all laid out. They were very evidently thirsty. It was a dehydrated bunch on this boat. And so as they approached, they cried out to the Spanish vessel if they needed any help. And one of the Spanish sailors cried back out to the Peruvian vessel, water, we need water, we're languishing here, we desperately need water. Well, the Peruvian captain responded in a most unusual way. For the Peruvian captain, he, he yelled back, just take your buckets and dunk them, just dip them right now, drop them into the ocean. Well, those Spanish sailors, they didn't understand because they knew they're in the ocean and you can't just drink that salt water, it would do you no good. And so they cried back, no, we need fresh water. This is what we need. And the Peruvians replied again, no, just do it. Drop your bucket in the water. You're in fresh water. 
Well, the Spanish, they didn't understand why the Peruvians were saying this until they realized that they had anchored in the mouth of the mighty Amazon River, an immense river filled with fresh water spilling out into the ocean. You see, these Spanish sailors, they were surrounded with fresh water and they didn't even know it. It's a parable for how you and I, particularly as believers, often act, often believe. We have this sense often that we have a great need that cannot be met unless we somehow, some way, make it happen ourselves. Maybe that's why you're logged in tonight. Maybe you've tuned in because right now you feel like you're spiritually dehydrated. The news, the current events that we find ourselves in, maybe they have you in such a state where you just feel like you've got to cry out for something. You need some fresh water, as it were, and you're not finding it. Maybe you go so far as to say you feel like you're spiritually languishing. You just feel like your, your, your life with the Lord is drying up. You're wondering what tomorrow holds. You're wondering if your faith will stay. And if that's you, I want to encourage you in a way that only the Word can to hear with ears of faith. Hear, I pray, dear brothers and sisters, that all you need, you already have. For God has granted you an immeasurable gift by giving you and I the Holy Spirit of God. Now that's something we intellectually as believers assent to, but it's very difficult to grab onto by faith. It's one of those things that we think about, but we oftentimes don't live in light of. And so tonight, as we walk through this doctrine, as it were, of the Holy Spirit, I pray that it will be an encouragement to you. I pray that it will strengthen your faith. And I pray that it will be pillars for you to stand on in these days and weeks that are uncertain that lie ahead. And so tonight, I just want to lay this one theme, this one phrase over your heart as we go through the text tonight. And that statement is simply this, you need the Holy Spirit of God. may not sound altogether profound, but I want you to feel the weight that you need the Holy Spirit. Now, before we go into why that's the case, a couple important questions I guess we ought to answer up front, and that would be, well, who is the Holy Spirit? You know, maybe your child's with you tonight, and they're tuning in, and maybe their mind instantly goes to, you know, the Spirit like the Force on Star Wars. Is the Spirit an it? Is it somehow some sort of weird force that's somehow related to God? It's important you know that Christian orthodoxy, when they say, when we believe and recite that we believe in the Holy Spirit, we mean this. We believe in a person. The Holy Spirit is not some inanimate force. It is the third member of the Trinity. It is part of the Godhead. It is indeed a person. Moreover, it's not just a person. You ought to know in particular how God manifests Himself in the Holy Spirit. You see, God presents Himself. He reveals Himself, the Bible says, I just read it a moment ago, as a helper or an advocate. You saw that in John chapter 16 where it says, He is sending a helper to you. Well, that word helper in the original language is paraclete, and it means just that a helper or an advocate, a comforter or a consoler, one who's going to come alongside and assist. 
That is the Holy Spirit of God, and His ministry to us provides us immeasurable help. Now, I could go on for hours delineating all the various ways the Holy Spirit of God helps us, assists us, advocates, consoles. But tonight, I just want to lay three simple truths upon your heart. We could go all over the Bible, that's true, but what I thought we could do tonight is just look at one passage of Scripture. That's kind of long, and I won't read the whole thing. We'll just look at John chapter 14, 15, and 16. John speaks repeatedly of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in these three chapters. And what I'd like to do is just pull out from these three chapters three simple, sustaining, wonderful, edifying truths that I pray will encourage you in the days ahead. And so, number one, if you're wanting to take notes or mark this down, which I guess I should say, by the way, we have published a PDF of the notes of this online. So feel free to access that, and you can follow along with me in the notes as we go through our curriculum tonight. So, number one, mark this down. The Spirit, one way the Spirit helps us, is the Spirit instructs you. What do I mean when I say the Spirit instructs you? Well, I want you to think about your relationship with the Bible. How often do you find yourself waking up? This Bible's on your coffee table. Maybe it's in your study at home. You pick it up and you know in your mind, this book should benefit me. This book should encourage me. It should build up my faith. It should sharpen me. It should change me. But then when you pick it up, you find yourself with eyes kind of glossing over. You find yourself zoning out. You find yourself lost. You, you find yourself in this weird spot where you want to be built up, but you're just not being. One thing I want you to remember and savor over these next few days, well, you'll probably have more time than usual to spend in the Bible, is that the Holy Spirit of God, He is the one who takes this Word and does an immeasurable work in our hearts as we read it. There's at least two ways the Holy Spirit of God instructs us from this book. Well, one way is, is pretty clear. He actually wrote it. In a very real sense, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, we, of course, believe that the Bible was inspired by God through men. So, we believe at least 39 different men wrote this book. It, it's, involved, it, it's composed of 66 books pinned over roughly 1,500 years or so. But we believe the Holy Spirit of God superintended it, meaning He was the one who inspired these men to write these words down. So in a very real sense, this is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God that we are reading. These are the words of God Himself. And so I want you to just think, when you are reading this book, you are reading words that the Holy Spirit of God intended for you to read. He inspired them for you. The word is God-breathed, 2 Timothy 3.16 says. Theonoustos, that means it is literally coming from God as if He is breathing out through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And so as you sit down, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow morning, and open up this book, Bear in mind that what you hold in your hands, this is the Holy Spirit-inspired Word. He is instructing you as you read this. But He doesn't just instruct us through His inspiration of this book. In a very real sense, He instructs us through His illumination of this book. And what I mean when I say illumination is, 
The Holy Spirit of God, He's the one that gives us eyes of faith, as it were, to read this. Do you ever find yourself glossed over as you read it? Do you ever find yourself wondering what's the difference between reading this and Shakespeare, for example? It is the Holy Spirit of God who comes and takes this word and He opens your eyes to behold wonderful things out of it. He takes your eyes and He opens them to see what He would have you see in it. Let me read for you John chapter 16, verse 13. In verse 13 He says, When the Spirit of truth comes, what will He do? He will guide you into all the truth. He has not just left it up to our mere intellect. The Holy Spirit of God is actively working in the minds and hearts of all believers as they study His Word. That's why the Bible doesn't need to just merely be interpreted by preachers. Now, God has called pastors to shepherd the flock and to minister the Word, to do the hard work behind the scenes to prepare the word so that we can stand before you and with integrity say we have rightly divided this word. But he has also granted his Holy Spirit to all people who have repented of their sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God within you that is illuminating the Bible for you as you read it. And so, let's just take this back home. As you read the Bible, I want to plead with you that you would listen to the Spirit as you read. Now, I don't mean that in a crazy sense. Here's what I mean. As you read the Bible, take it seriously. Don't move through it quickly. Slow down and read it. The Bible says, meditate on it. To meditate on the Bible is to slowly and prayerfully read and ponder what it has to say. One of the best ways to meditate on the Bible is to memorize it. You're going to have some more time on your hands, I trust, so take some time maybe this week and sit down and take a passage uh, in the whatever you read that morning and memorize it. Slowly digest it and watch the Holy Spirit of God do an, un an unusual work in your heart as you labor to memorize and meditate and listen to God as He is inspired through the Holy Spirit, His words to you. That's number one, the Holy Spirit instructs you. A second truth I want to lay upon your heart tonight is this. Number two, the Spirit sanctifies you. Look, if you will, in John chapter 16. I'd like to direct your attention to verses 7 through 11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. The Spirit of God sanctifies you. That word sanctify, it's an unusual word. It means to set apart. And really what we mean when we use that word is the Holy Spirit makes you more like Christ. He makes you hate your sin more. He makes you love Christ Jesus more. In other words, He makes you grow 
in holiness, grow in grace. Now, how does he do that? He does it in at least a couple ways. Perhaps one of the most significant ways the Holy Spirit of God sanctifies you and me, and this is a wonderful work of the Spirit, is he does this by convicting us of our sin. Oftentimes when I sit down and counsel children or students, their parents are in the room and they are often wondering, I just don't know if my child is ready for baptism. How do I know their profession of faith is real? How do I know? They, they can tell me the gospel. They, can, they know more about the Bible than maybe I do, oftentimes parents will say. But how do I know it's real? Well, I have concluded that one critical question you really need to ask both of your own soul and the soul of your children is this question. It's not merely do they understand the gospel. Of course, that is, that's a prerequisite. You, you got to know the gospel itself. You got to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. But I think a good diagnostic question to ask to discern whether or not somebody is genuinely indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God is, are they convicted by their sin? Now, the reason that's such an important question to ask is one of the biggest differences between a believer and an unbeliever is not one is good and one is bad. Heaven forbid, that's not the case at all. We're all sinners. We all are desperately in need of the grace of God. The biggest difference between a believer and an unbeliever is, biblically speaking, a person with the Spirit of God within them, when they sin, they are convicted of their sin. In other words, it goes beyond just knowing right from wrong. Of course, unbelievers believe uh, they know right from wrong in a variety of ways, of course. But what happens when the Holy Spirit of God is within you is things that God hates, you begin to hate. But as a sinner, you'll regularly fall back into them. You know that. I don't have to explain this to you. You know what it's like as a believer to continuously fall back into those besetting sins, those things that just seem to cling closely to you. But when you became a believer, what happened? When you started to do those things, something changed in you. You started to hate them. You started to resist them. You started to have this conversation within you like, Lord, I hate that I keep doing this. Help me stop this. That is the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God in the hearts of believers. The Holy Spirit comes and does an unusual work in believers. He convicts us of our sin. So when you're in your workplace and you say something you knew you shouldn't have, or when you're in your home and you treated your wife in a way you knew you shouldn't have, if the Holy Spirit of God is within you, he is at that moment convicting you of what you've done. And when the Spirit convicts, He leads us to a point of repentance whereby we confess what we have done to be sin and with the help of God, we turn from it. We repent of it. We say, Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. I need your help to follow you. And that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit convicting you of your sin. But there's really another way the Holy Spirit of God sanctifies us, changes us into the image of Christ. It's not just through convicting us of sin. It's also through, well, in a very real sense, He disciplines us, which is kind of a strange thing to think about, I understand. But think for a moment. Would a good, loving parent withhold discipline? Maybe, again, your children are sitting near you tonight watching as you watch this uh, class online. If there's any children listening, I wonder, 
Do you think you would have a good mom or dad if they let you do whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted, however you wanted? Now, you may be tempted to think, yeah, that sounds pretty good to me. But a good, loving parent in any sense of the word, well, they wouldn't do that because that is actually not loving. You see, what does a good and loving parent do? When they see their child is doing something that is not in their best interest, when they see that their child is doing something that is against God, they discipline, they correct. And the Bible says, just like a good earthly father would discipline his son that he loves, we have an infinitely better, wonderful, heavenly father who disciplines the ones he loves. Now, how does he do this? Well, the Bible describes this discipline kind of like something I observed many times over growing up. When I was growing up, my mom uh, gardened in our front yard in Oklahoma City. She had a beautiful garden out there. It was her hobby. She would spend hours daily out there making sure that garden was, was really amazing. And one thing she would do often, that as a child, it just never made any sense to me, is when she was out there, she would take these shears, they're like a big old pair of scissors, and she would start going and looking at this beautiful tree or this beautiful bush, and she'd start cutting uh, limbs off. She'd start taking what was otherwise a really good looking branch, and she'd lop it off. And she'd be doing that for a good amount of time. Before long, what was once a really beautiful looking tree, all of a sudden didn't look like that at all. And I never understood why she did that. Well, what she was doing is pruning the tree. And you're probably familiar with this, it's a biblical concept. When you prune something, you're doing a, a, a difficult, in our case, you could call it a painful act, whereby you're taking things away, but you're doing it with the intent that you will be set up for future health and growth. That's why you prune a tree, because if you do that, the tree is going to be better positioned to grow and be healthy the next season. And funny enough, God uses this exact analogy in John chapter 15 to show us how He sanctifies us by the Spirit. I want to turn your attention to John chapter 15. Let me direct your attention to verse 2. It says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes. So he's using this analogy of a vine dresser to help us understand that God disciplines us because he loves us. And he does this to conform us into the image of his son. This pruning effect he has in our lives, he does this to make you and I more into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, we, you may find yourself right now acutely sensing the discipline of the Lord. You may find yourself in a season of your life where you're wondering, my word, all these things that are transpiring, these things going on within me, does God hate me? Has He forgotten about me? Does He ignore me now? Does He see? Does He care? And I want you to hear, not with my own authority, but with the authority of the Word of God itself that oftentimes God moves in unusual, mysterious ways in our lives for our good and for His glory. He's doing 10,000 things in your life this very moment. You may only be aware of a few of them, but you must know that when He moves, as He always does, He is doing it for your good. And so, those painful pruning effects 
you may be feeling even this moment, you can trust, you can rest with full assurance that this is a good God who is sanctifying you this very moment by the Spirit. And so I just want to plead with you that as you watch tonight, seek Him. Seek Him. Give yourself to this work. Say, oh God, would you do by the power of the Holy Spirit that which I need. Spirit, would you come and renew my mind? Would you change my heart? Would you lop off those parts of me that need to just be lopped off? Oh God, would you by the power of your Holy Spirit come and do a work in me so that I can be more like you. I earnestly plead that you would seek Him. And as you have some time, um, maybe just in your own personal study, or maybe even with your children or teenagers, maybe one good way for you to seek Him is to spend some time meditating over the next few days or weeks on one gift the Holy Spirit uh, gives. He calls this the fruit of the Spirit. I'm sure you've heard this before. These fruits of the Spirit include love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, wonderful qualities that are given to us by the Holy Spirit of God. Why don't you spend some time with your family and study those? Have the Lord reveal in your own heart, like you're looking in a mirror, where you fall as you look at love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Go to Galatians chapter 5, look at verses 22 and 23 and so, and you'll find these fruits of the Spirit and say, Lord, I earnestly want to be a man or a woman of love, of joy, of peace and patience and kindness and goodness and so on. Would you do this work in me? I plead that you would give yourself to the Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit of God so that you would find His sanctifying work being done in you. That's number two. All right, number three, one third and final point. I hope you have enough energy and stamina left to hang in here for just a few more minutes. If you need to stand up and stretch, of course, that's good. Hang in with me for one third and final point. If you're taking notes, number three, mark this down. The Spirit sustains you. If there's one point I want you to grab onto tonight, it is this third and final point. The Spirit sustains you. I want to invite you to turn your attention with me to John chapter 14. And I want to read verses 16 through 18. And as I do, just be aware of the context. In John chapter 14, we see Jesus' disciples. They're now in a panic-stricken fear that their leader, Jesus, is going to go away. He may die and they'll be without him. They'll be separated from Him. There is this fear of isolation. There is this anxiety of loss. There's a fear. And you and I can resonate with these men who are experiencing the uh, possibility of impending loss. We know what it's like to be uncertain about tomorrow, acutely these days. We know what it's like to just wonder, what does tomorrow bring? And notice what Jesus says to comfort and console his worried, fearful disciples. In John chapter 14, 
beginning in verse 16, hear the promise, the precious promise that Jesus gives. Verse 16, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper. We've seen that word before, helper, paraclete. It's the Holy Spirit, an advocate, a consoler, a comforter, a helper. He's going to give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, and notice why he says we know him. Verse 17, for he dwells with you and will be with you. The Holy Spirit of God sustains you and I as believers at least in two ways. The first way that we see very clearly in this text is the Spirit indwells us. In a very real sense, the Spirit lives within us. You see, when Jesus died, He was crucified, buried, triumphantly resurrected, and He ascended to the Father, He promised that He would send this Helper, the Holy Spirit of God, to dwell within believers to set up, as it were, new temples within believers where He would dwell, where His presence would remain. And if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, He abides in you. And that is wonderfully comforting to know. Perhaps tonight you're alone in your home watching this. Ordinarily, you would be in the fellowship of believers here at Hickory Grove. And so tonight is just for you another reminder that you're not with the ones you love the ones you want to be in fellowship with. If that's you, and you have this foreboding sense of fear and isolation, I want you to feel the very real, wonderful, comforting, assuring, sustaining presence of the Holy Spirit of God. For He indwells you. He is living within you. He is caring for you this moment. He is, as John chapter 14 says, He is helping you, for He is right now presently with you. What a foundation to stand on. What a firm place to set your feet. He is never apart from you. He will indeed never leave you or forsake you, for His Spirit is with you this moment. He is more with you than I could be if I was seated next to you. The Spirit of God indwells within you. That is one way He sustains us as believers. But one final way He does, and I pray that this will encourage you in the days ahead, is the Holy Spirit of God, He doesn't just indwell us, He assures us. And by that I mean, the Spirit does a work that we could not do in and of ourselves. The Spirit comes and He applies the truths of the Scripture to our heart and He reminds us of those things we are so prone to forget. He takes the Word, as it were, and He applies it to us so that we are assured of our salvation. Now, how does that work? Well, one way this works is that the Holy Spirit, one of His chief ministries is to point us to the ground of our salvation. You see, the Spirit showcases the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
His work is to magnify Jesus in our minds and hearts. And he does this by continually drawing our minds and hearts back to Christ, the only hope of our salvation. And so, take great hope in the fact that the Holy Spirit of God is assuring you this moment by reminding you that you are not saved by what you do. You are not saved by how you act. You are simply saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. That means you look to Jesus and you believe He is who He says He is. You believe that He is the eternal Son of God, perfect in every way. You believe that He was unjustly killed. He was crucified on a Roman cross. And in so doing, He received the full payment and punishment for sin. He absorbed the wrath of God that was due us as rebel sinners. He took it and He completely paid for it. And the reason we know He paid for it is He did not stay dead and buried. He triumphantly and miraculously was resurrected from the dead. And upon so doing, He declared to all the world, and it is echoed through the ages, that the curse of sin is broken. We are no longer standing guilty under the weight of our sin. The shackles have been broken off. Jesus reigns, and He will reign forevermore. And He will save you and make you co-heirs with Him if you simply turn from your sin and believe. Now, that's the gospel. You know that to be true. But the truth of the matter is we forget it often. And that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, applying it to us again and again and again, assuring us that the gospel is true. It is worth you throwing yourself upon daily. Brothers and sisters, take heart. The Holy Spirit of God assures you and He will sustain you by comforting you in the days ahead. Now, there's many other things we could say about the Holy Spirit. Time won't permit us in this medium tonight. But I want to close by just giving you a little peek behind the curtain of my own heart. These have been uncertain times, and as I prayerfully meditated on tonight's message in the study of my own home, There was a song that continuously came into my mind and heart. Again and again, I found myself singing that old Christian hymn that you know and could probably sing with me. I'll spare you. I won't sing it to you on this medium. But you know that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, written in 1923 uh, by a guy named Thomas Chisholm. And these words of this hymn, I want them to just kind of Rest on you as I pray and conclude our session tonight. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hands hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. I think the reason the Lord continued to bring this into my mind and heart today is to encourage and remind you as my fellow church members whom I love, whom I, representing the pastors tonight, dearly love. We want you to rest assured that though we are not able to gather physically tonight, we are still the body of Christ. And through this medium, it's the best we can do tonight, we pray that the Word of God would come and minister to you in such a way that you could stand with full assurance despite everything transpiring and say with words of faith, 
Great, O God, is your faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I'm going to see, Lord. All I need, your hands, Lord, you, you provided them for me. And so I am saying again, great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And if you want to fight that fight of faith with me, and of course I pray you do, you can do this with the help, the immeasurable help of the Holy Spirit of God who instructs you, this Holy Spirit who sanctifies you, and this Holy Spirit who will sustain you in the days ahead. May I pray for you and pray God's richest blessings upon you until we gather again in this most unusual medium this coming Sunday, the Lord's Day. May I pray for you and then we'll conclude our time together. Father in heaven, would your hands be upon these dear brothers and sisters? Would you edify them by your word? Would you sustain them by the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you sanctify them during this season? And, oh God, would you instruct them as we have more time than usual to be in your word. So, Father, I pray that these brothers and sisters would seek you with all their heart. They would listen to your Holy Spirit-inspired words. And, oh God, I pray that we would trust you in the days ahead. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your ministry to us. And we pray that you would continue to do your work in Hickory Grove and in our lives we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.